Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. 
and me. Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to Fruit Loops Season Three, Episode Twenty Two. Can you believe it's been twenty-two episodes in this one season? Uh, thank you so much for listening all the way. Um, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. No, ma'am. There are no. Are you crazy? There are many <laughs> well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist. Allegedly. 
And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod discussion or by joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website. Uh, they make great Christmas gifts or Hanukkah mm-hmm. gifts or Kawanza gifts. Whatever. Yeah. Or whatever <laughs> kinds of gifts. Whatever but if, holiday you're yeah, celebrating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you want to help, if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And the most important thing is that you share our show with your friends. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? In this special holiday episode, we're going to be talking about family annihilators. Happy holidays. Yes, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) This subject was suggested to us by Jesse S. and Chrissy B. on Facebook. Well, before we get into the meat and potatoes, you know, the Christmas meal, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. Uh, This is my favorite time of year. Everything's so festive. Um, How are you doing? Well, I am okay. I'm looking forward to the end of the year when I can tell 2019 to get the fuck out of my house and my life. (laughs) And then I will see her on the 12th of February. Uh, 2019 has been a a trying year. It's been it's been a rough year. I think I think I I feel like that's fair for everybody to say. But the end of the year has been particularly rough because we had that storm blew off my roof uh, and we're going back and forth with the insurance company. One of our dogs got hit by a car and died last Mm, week. Uh, So that's why we can record. Um, And it just feels like I got punched in the face. So I just like wanted to be over. But I will say this. Any Zumba fans out there? <laughs> because your girl Wendy is a certified Zumba instructor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dance out the end of the year. Yes, exactly. So I will be dancing at the end of the year. And if you want to join me for any classes and you happen to be in the valley, why don't you DM, DM us and I'll let you know where, where I'll be teaching. Right on. Next. Uh, So anyway, now we're going to get into some, here we go, listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. I love getting mail. What do we got, Beth? Well, first I wanted to say congrats to Antoinette, who won the patron merch draw for November. She won a Fruit Loops mug. And uh, we'll be having our next drawing for our December patrons. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I did it again. God damn it. (laughs) 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 So we'll be having our next drawing for our December patrons at the beginning of January. That's right. That's right. But congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want in on the next draw, 
become a patron. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's lots of perks. Yes, there is. Um, well, because I, I, one of our listeners was like, what? You get bonus episodes? Yeah, girl, you get bonus episodes. You also get early episodes and a chance to get some extra merch and also some swag right. when you first uh, become a patron. So, um, yeah, you know, there's a few there's perks. A few perks. And my goal for next year is to uh, work on getting more uh, bonus episodes in there. So, yes, I'm trying to f- still trying to figure out how to do that. Well, I think once we can that do it. Stupid 2020 gets her things and gets the fuck out. We can work about <laughs> you it. You mean 2019? Work, work it out. Yeah, yeah. What's her name? 20, 2019? Yeah, get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what else we got? We also got a message from Kathleen who said, hey, ladies, I love the podcast. I'm a woke ass white woman raised in a super racist house in oh, town. Me, oh, my. And knew it was BS at a very young age. Good oh. for you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Culture Corner and hope every time I listen that it helps pull someone's head out of their ass. <laughs> <laughs> this is, Keep this it is up. someone we need to have go have drinks with. Like, yeah, ASAP. yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Where you at? I hear you talk about fixing the old audio because you have better equipment now. Please don't. Oh. I like hearing the evolution of your show and the haters need to get a grip and evolve themselves. Amen, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> I've turned a few people onto your podcast and will keep spreading the word. I often tell people now in online discussions that the news is racist. And if you want some <laughs> truth on serial killers, tune into Fruit Loops. I heard you talking about the Rampart scam on one of your podcasts briefly and wanted to let you know that there's a movie with Woody Harrelson called Rampart about it. Oh. Uh, so that sounds really interesting. Gonna it have does. to watch that. It does. That sounds like a shout out. Shout yeah, out yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep up the great job and I'll be ordering swag ASAP. So thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so much, Sister Kathleen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, yes, thank you so much. God bless you, Sister Kathleen. That was beautiful. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love woke ass white ladies. Yes. <laughs> Have to be like Bev. <laughs> so I got one more. Okay. Uh, Chrissy on Facebook said, Hey, y'all, I'm into season three and I'm so stoked. This is an amazing podcast. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you so much for all you do for the shout outs to Fruities, naming the victims muy importante and just being real. Hey. So thank you, Chrissy. <laughs> Somebody give double hip hop air horns because. Beth said muy importante very well. So oh, thank you. you. You get one too, Beth. I, but Chrissy, I keep trying. I one for you. There you go. There you go. Uh, I can't, so, apparently, I can't pronounce Albany. That's the way it's supposed <laughs> to be pronounced. Albany. I got called out what for my pronunciation. You, I, 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 I probably said Albany. Oh, okay. So um, yeah. my impression is that Beth is smarter than me. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to like correct you oh, on no, like you, pronunciation. You, like on some, I'm reluctant to con- correct you on some things. Like some things, I'm like, I know, I know that yeah, she doesn't that's know not right. Like, like, yeah, that's all right. But like, go ahead and correct me. Like reading stuff, I don't, I don't know, I don't always know if it's like my place because. Again, oh, it's your place. Smarter and wiser than me. No, that's not true. But uh, <laughs> go ahead and correct me, because I, I, otherwise I sound like a dumbass. 
I got you in the I got you in the future. Don't worry, don't worry. I got you. I got you now. Okay, now, cool, now that cool. I know. Um, <laughs> so uh, Terry on Facebook said. So I was listening to season one, episode 14, when Beth found out that she was had some African ancestry and wanted to share a funny story of mine. When I was in the fifth grade, we were assigned the task of doing a family tree, uh, very common in the fifth grade. And after we turned it in, my teacher, an older black lady, called me to my desk and asked me why I cheated on the assignment. I admittedly denied cheating and had asked why she said that. What you say that for? And informed her that my aunt and I researched every family member from the library in town. She proceeded to show me two folders and asked if I noticed anything interesting. When I realized that there were names in mine that were also on other persons, I was like, what the? Who in here is my cousin, LOL? Well, turns out that a white girl in my class and I have the same family members on our tree. Needless to say, my aunt chewed her butt out for calling me a cheater, LOL. And (laughs) hey, colonization results in mysterious ways, right? Uh, I, I mean, I'm curious as to how like the history of that lineage, but it, it's it's really not surprising just from doing the Fruit Loops research that we've done and what I know about colonization and the whole uh, slave trade and um, just we're we're all kind of mixed in with with each other um, in yeah. some places. So, you know what? I bet you Beth is probably a distant cousin of mine. I, be- I feel it in my bones. <laughs> Could be. It's it it probably true. Yeah, yeah it's probably true. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but thank you, Terry. Shout out to you, and you get all. Yeah, thank you. Hip hop air horns. Um, and Terry is actually really, really active with us on online. And uh, I want to just apologize in advance to Terry. Man, the end of the year is really, really tough. So I'm doing my best to like stay on top of uh, all, all the, the messages and messages and, and stuff, yeah. everything. But uh, there's just so much going on. So please forgive us in advance. Um, yeah. So now we're going to take a little quick break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. Dumb and Busted has been called, quote, one of America's greatest treasures by three out of three hosts of the show. Dumb and Busted is a weekly true crime comedy podcast with stories of exceptionally smart and insanely dumb crimes. Comedian Hunter Donaldson has hailed it as the greatest thing to come out of Portland since comedian Hunter Donaldson, who is me, also hosts the show. Podcasters Allison Copeland and Hannah Ether praise Dumb and Busted as, quote, found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Just more rave reviews from two other people who host the show. Catch us every Thursday and follow us at Dumb and Busted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Crime you later! So, who are we talking about again today, Beth? Today we're talking about family annihilators. Mm. And specifically, we're going to focus on Manling Sang Williams, who was convicted in 2010 for killing her 27-year-old husband, Neil, and their sons, Ian 3 and Devin 7. So, I guess, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, anyway, we're going to get into the stats, which is Wendy's favorite part. So, um, Ms. Uh, Min Lang Sang Williams was a California woman of Taiwanese descent. She killed her family and two sons, and some might call that familicide or parasite, the killing of a close relative or parent. Uh, her MO was she smothered her two little boys with a pillow, and she basically 
cut her husband in half, according to the uh, medical examiner, the coroner at the scene, uh, with a katana samurai sword. Sword. I just like that word. Sword. (laughs) I know it's sword, but uh, he... (laughs) This is so stupid. But in Aladdin, the movie, Robin Williams, he... uh, a hundred bad guys with swords. I, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> can't get it out of your head. Swords. swords. Uh, so from her husband, her husband had a collection of swords and uh, he was stabbed and slashed almost a hundred times. Her crimes took place on August 7th in 2007. And she was caught shortly thereafter and sentenced to death in January of 2012 and currently sits on death row. One of a, a, maybe a couple dozen women who are on death row in California. So right. now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. So last year, everyone was riveted by the Watts family murders when it was discovered that Chris Watts had murdered his pregnant wife, Shanann, possibly Shannon. I've heard it pronounced both ways, but I'm going to say Shanann and their two daughters, four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste in Colorado. Watts is what is referred to as a family annihilator, someone who kills their entire family. And the first family annihilator case that I ever heard about was the case of John List. Have you heard of him? Nope. He killed his family in 1971 and then disappeared. And his case was covered on America's Most Wanted. And that's where I heard about it back in the late 80s. And then he was later caught through America's Most Wanted. And he was living a new life with a new wife and everything. And then um, Diane Downs, have you heard of her? No. She's another famous one who attempted to kill her three children also to start a new life. And uh, there was a movie about her and Farrah Fawcett played her oh. in the movie. Who yeah. is Farrah Fawcett? <laughs> the lady with the hair? <laughs> yeah, she's in Charlie's Angels with the feathered hair. Oh, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've, a bunch I of white I've people. Heard of that lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> the the one that comes to my mind is uh is it Phil Hartman who was on SNL? Oh yeah, Super yeah. Funny. And his uh his wife was a I think a troubled individual and she yeah. killed him and then herself. And so th- I just remember um everybody being so shocked including myself cuz I was a huge fan. I'm I'm a huge fan of comedy in general, but um he sort of sparked my interest uh with his jokes about uh like he did an impression of a, a Madonna and he was like he was reading from her book and he was like I like my vagina I sometimes <laughs> like to stare at it in the mirror and it just covered oh with God. hair. And uh, he would also do um, like politician impressions. And I just was like, oh, my God, this is this is this is amazing. This is so cool. I just thought it was so and it yeah I just, he was I, on it, the it simpsons really, too yeah Wasn't he on the simpsons yeah i'm sure i'm sure i mean his voice was incredible his talent was incredible right. it was just that's so when i think of family annihilators annihilators that was that was one that's of the first what when you think, think my of, head yeah. um so anyway it's all it's tragic all around yeah it's yeah, it, it, is. it is crazy i can't i can't think of another word other than tragic and crazy but yeah yeah um most family annihilators work alone and wipe out the entire household according to a former FBI agent, 
Brad Garrett, many times it's because of financial problems. The belief is that men in particular will kill their family because they have lost their ability to, to, uh, ability to support them. And it gets into the male ego identity and then um, the loss of that. And uh, I'm going to mention the John List case again. Um, in that case, he had lost his job and they were already living beyond their means in a house that they couldn't afford. And his kids were teenagers and they started to act out. Nothing crazy, just expressing their own personalities. Um, mm-hmm. And List was very religious and controlling. Mm-hmm. And the kids were starting to get out from under his thumb and his life wasn't a perfect picture anymore and he just couldn't handle it. Mm. One interesting stat, a lot of family annihilators commit their crimes in August. And I thought this was fascinating. So according to Brad Garrett, the FBI guy, this is because the children are not in school, which gives the family annihilator, quote, ready access to them and and buys them time. So if a a child doesn't show up at school, the school isn't going to start looking for them. Right. Um, although going back to the list case again, sorry, I keep going back to this. No but worries. It's one of those cases that it just absolutely fascinates me because it was one of the first ones that I ever heard of. Mm. And also he was very calculating. So in the list case, he called the school and told them that they were going out of town. So the oh. bodies weren't found for almost a month. So no. he had all that time to make his getaway. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Holy shit. Okay. And uh, family annihilators don't actually typically think through the end result like List did, potentially getting arrested, instead focusing on the immediate need and gain of the moment, uh, That, according to the FBI guy, uh, mm-hmm. Brad Garrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that family annihilators are spontaneous. The crimes are premeditated and they build up over weeks or months. Sure. Also, again, according to Garrett, in a vast majority of family annihilation cases, the suspect either commits suicide or confesses. They commit the act based on emotion and immediate need or gain. But then after they are arrested, he or she confesses because they, quote unquote, see the reality of what they are facing. They then often create a, quote, alternative version of what happened, end quote. So they kind of make something up, I guess. That they can live with, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Prosecutors claimed that Christopher Watts, quote, desire for a fresh start to begin a new relationship was a motive for his crimes. At the time of the killings, Watts, 33, was dating another woman. At sentencing, Shanann's father, Frank Ruzik, commented that Chris Watts carried them out like trash. Mm. According to Neil Websdale, PhD, a professor of criminal justice at Northern Arizona University, such killers have one common trait, a feeling that they've fallen short of societal ideals. And he says of, quote, manhood, end quote, but I would say simply societal ideals. And according to at least one study, family killings rise with the unemployment rate, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of jobs growing, but. I mean, is anybody taking into account the, the, the number of people who are taking on more than one job? I mean, you know, I have a full time nine to five, but I also do podcasting. I also have a skincare thing that I do on the side. I also have. Um, you were doing the singing gigs for oh, a while. Oh, singing. And yeah, I uh, yeah, I sing on the side. I teach Zumba. Zumba. Yeah. So 
yeah, that's a lot of jobs. And according to the numbers that they release on the news, things are great. But guess what? I don't see my family very much. So it's not that great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sorry. But sorry. Yeah. No, no, I, I get you. I'm like, I, I'm the same way. I don't have as many gigs as you do, but I have uh, other side gigs as well, art stuff that I do. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I, I'm working all the time right? (laughs) and and not getting anything done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of jobs, but are they really enough? Like we were promised sort of that, that, that to me doesn't seem like the American dream. I mean, I'm sure, no. you know, um, uh, you know, I, I know I'm very, I'm very grateful for what I have and all the opportunities that I have, but it, it would be nice to just have one job that could support everything and, uh, you know, uh, be able to relax, be sometimes. able to live my life. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that someday. In the meantime, someday. I'm just saving up for my funeral. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so according to Grant Dewey, Supervisor of Research and Evaluation for the Minnesota Department of Corrections and an author of the book Mass Murder in the United States, A History, Multicides which includes serial spree killings and familicides account for less than 0.1% of homicides per year in the U.S., which I thought that was a pretty interesting stat. Yeah, agreed. But within that category, familicides are the most common, averaging about 41% of the total in recent years. Also interesting very interesting. And I think um, I, I I don't know if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or even Donald Trump is listening to this uh, podcast. But yeah, uh, it shouldn't be that way. People shouldn't be so stressed that the end game is, you know, well, and, and murdering I bring your whole because, family. Yeah, murder, well, <laughs> yeah, murdering your whole family. But I think a lot of that has to do with um the, the and I I've struggled with depression and 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 suicide in in my history and I only bring this up because I know um, also uh, a death of a salesman I I learned when I was a kid that in, life insurance will not pay out if you kill yourself and to some people who are in the throes of depression you might realize that you are worth more dead than you are alive. But how do you get there? And how do you get your family yeah. through that? And so I can see how one might weave that web of, well, this makes sense. And we can talk about that more in the takeaways. But I, I just, family annihilators is a terrible thing. But I, I, um, I, I am I'm just trying empathize. to get into their head. I, I do empathize. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So most family annihilators are mostly white. Uh, middle-aged men. They feel inadequate and have often suffered childhood abuse. Having felt powerless as kids, many try to exert strict control over their households and they seek to create an idealized version of family that they never experienced. So they have this idealized version of what their family should be and then are deeply disappointed with the reality of what things are. According to Professor Websdale, these men fall along a continuum between what are called, quote, livid coercive, unquote, and, quote, civil reputable, unquote, killers. Hmm. Livid coercive killers are driven by rage. They are controlling and sometimes abusive, and they derive their self-worth from the authority they exert at home. Mm -hmm. But that kind of behavior often prompts the wife and children to try to leave. 
The resulting lack of control triggers feelings of humiliation, eventually leading the father to reassert his power through murder. So the civil reputable killer, on the other hand, considers suicide as the only means to escape some sort of financial crisis. As I mentioned earlier, murdering the family then becomes a way of rescuing them from the hardship and shame of bankruptcy and suicide. On the continuum, the motives can be mixed, and economic duress can also play a role in rage killings, though it's not usually the main trigger. As we mentioned, most family annihilators, about 60% are white men. And that's almost all of the stories that we ever hear about and what most of the research I found talked about. Mm -hmm. Very little research has been done specifically on female family annihilators. Mm -hmm. But according to one article that I read, the limited information available indicates that childhood abuse, poverty and addiction are contributing factors. Sure, sure. And uh, those are contributing factors in all of the murders that we talk about. True that, true Um, that. Yeah. Uh, There was a recent case that made the news where five members of one family were murdered by family members in Mooresville, Pennsylvania. And it was unusual in many ways, including the fact that the subjects were black and the perpetrators were women, specifically a mother and a daughter. And we will definitely be covering this story sometime in the future. But it happened so recently that we want to wait until, you know, more information comes in um, so that we can cover it thoroughly Fruit Loop style. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a fascinating case. Yeah. Yeah. The story that we chose to cover today takes place in Roland Heights. Is that, do you think that's right? Roland Heights? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Roland Heights in Los Angeles County, California in the summer of 2007. Roland Heights has the fifth largest Asian community in LA County with just over 50% of the population identifying as Asian, according to the 2000 census. The Sang family was originally from Taiwan and this is very confusing, but presently, the nation of China is represented by two separate authorities, the Republic of China, commonly referred to as Taiwan, and the People's Republic of China, China, which is mainland China, commonly referred to as just China. After World War II, the Republic of China government, established in 1912 as the successor to the Qing dynasty, relocated to Taiwan. And the group led by Mao Zedong created the People's Republic of China in mainland China. So the People's Republic of China has control over mainland China, while the Republic of China has control over Taiwan Island, the Pengu Archipelago and minor islands Kinmen and Matsu, while each separate government claims sovereignty over the whole of China. China. Why am I saying China so weird? China. The People's <laughs> Republic of China claims Taiwan is part of the PRC as a successor state to the Republic of China, which it views as losing the civil war. And the ROC views the PRC as an illegal state occupying China. So this is obviously clear as mud. I get it. Do yeah. you? Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I had to read it several times to get it. So there's yeah. two two different governments and they each think the other is is uh, the boss. illegal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they need to get Tony Danza in there. Who's the boss? <laughs> Who's the boss? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So what do you got, Beth? Manling Tsang Williams, also known as Ling, 
uh, as we mentioned, is of Taiwanese Chinese descent, who and she was born in 1979. I read that her family didn't want her, but it did not give a reason why. And at mm-hmm. first, we thought it was because of China's one-child policy. But after looking into it, it turns out that although mainland China had a one-child policy, which ended in 2016, Taiwan did not. So, so uh, that probably wasn't it. Well, uh, I I only learned that in researching this case because again, I assumed. Uh, but you know what happens when you assume? You make an ass out of you. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and and that's why I, I uh, included the part about Taiwan because I did not know that information. No, no, not at all. So shout out to Beth, our super researcher. Um, <laughs> I just find stuff really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you take deep dives into places I would never consider yeah, going. Yeah, hopefully uh, it's not too boring. <laughs> well, and hopefully the FBI isn't tracking you and China doesn't <laughs> instruct them to turn off your internet. I don't know. Oh, you might need to cut that out. Anyway, growing up, Man Ling reportedly suffered a lot of verbal and physical physical abuse from her parents. School was challenging for Ling, and uh, she was diagnosed with various learning disabilities. She had a sister named Shun Ling Sang and a brother whose name we could not find. When she was 19, Man Ling met Neil Williams through a mutual friend at a Rocky Horse picture show viewing. They fell in love almost immediately and Manling became pregnant rather quickly. I had a hard time finding information about her parents, but I know that they owned the home that Manling and her family uh, moved into and they owned a business. Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> uh, so I don't know for sure, but one stereotype that comes up when discussing Asian American immigrants is the idea of a model minority. And this counts for all Asian um, immigrants, East Asian, Southeast Asian and uh, West Asians, all all of Asia. Um, and but I also think this applies to other um, minority groups who are immigrants. Uh, So welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. A model minority is a member of a marginalized group like immigrants. Members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the population average. The success is typically measured relatively by income, education, low crime, and high family slash marital marital stability. And in the eyes of white society are a-okay. Those are the good ones, quote unquote. That's what white people would say. I think that uh, (laughs) perpetuates the idea of the more model minority the, the it's all from the white gaze the white it's all from the white view and some think it's a myth but when you are an immigrant or a child of an immigrant um, work education stability are paramount and anything less is a disappointment so uh, yeah. shout out to all the minority immigrant first generation kids out there who disappointed their parents by not being doctors <laughs> or lawyers <laughs> and not being perfect yeah there you go yeah. boop, 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 boop. we deserve it Bob So Neil was brought up in Whittier, California, by his mom, Jan, who was a single parent. She has said that they were very close and they had similar personalities. She describes them as geeks. And Neil was really into Star Wars, computer gaming, and he collected samurai swords, as we mentioned earlier. And his mom often gave them to him as gifts. 
So I only want to say, um, you said geeks with such enthusiasm. And I think I feel like geek nowadays is like a, a really, really cool thing to be. It's 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 cool to be a geek or a nerd or. A, yeah, um, it's not uh, a bad word anymore like it used to be. Right, right. So when you said geeks, <laughs> I want. I know you're not a baby boomer, I like but geeks. I, I just, I, no. I know you were quoting Jan, and uh, I just had to say, okay, boomer. Um, so, and sorry for your loss. But Neil was very excited when he started dating Lane. He thought that she was beautiful, and he told his mom that he thought he had finally found someone he could talk to about things and have intellectual conversations with. According to the to a family friend. They seem to be like two best friends in love. Their son, Devin, was born in July of 2000. At the time, Manling was just 20 years old and her family was scandalized. But the couple soon married in a Taiwanese church and moved into a condo in Roland Heights, a small community outside of Los Angeles that they rented from Ling's parents. And then in August of 2003, their second son, Ian, was born. And according to friends and family from the outside, they looked like the perfect family. And that was the impression that Ling liked to give off. Now, uh, I, I must say that uh, this is also an immigrant thing. And um, I just want to share this little story from my family. So again, my dad is African-American. My mom is a Black Central American woman. And I think... At, one point when my parents were dating, my Black American grandfather um, chastised my Black American grandmother for picking up pennies that she found in the street um, because they grew up really poor. And so anytime she would see a penny, she would pick it up and like put it in, a, in like a bank or something, or a, a little savings. Because, um, you know, you, if you grow up not having you, you when you see any kind of money on the ground, you're going to pick it up. Yeah. And he uh, he again chastised her and said, um, you know, how dare you do this in front of, you know, our son's girlfriend. And my mom has told me that you would never chastise your uh, spouse in public because you would want everybody to believe or you you wouldn't want anyone outside to think that there was something going wrong inside. There's a so problem. Never, yeah, yeah. You would never chastise somebody in public in that way. At home, different story. You your ass is gonna get beat. You, there's gonna be blood. There's gonna be a lot of tears. Shoes are gonna get thrown. Uh, uh, telephone cords are gonna get pulled out the wall. Like it's gonna get it's gonna get messy in the house. But outside, whoo, you would never. So I just wanted to. That's not a point that I I don't know that um, any of the other white true crime podcasters would uh, latch on to is the fact that um, that is uh, that's a significant part of being a person of color or an immigrant in these parts is you can be a freak in the sheets, but you got to be really neat in, in the streets. So <laughs> and that's not a sexual connotation. I'm just saying you don't you don't let people know what's going on. You don't let yeah. people know that there's problems. Yeah, it, it, I, I think that's that. That's a comment of a lot of groups of people, but um, from what fair. you're saying, particularly, particularly immigrants, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, that's my experience. So, right, right.
Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Dive on into the timeline and get into the meat and potatoes of the story. So, Beth, I'm hungry. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. Ling worked as a waitress during the breakfast shift at Marie Callender's, and Neil worked at Disneyland. He was kind of like a big kid, and he enjoyed his job at Disneyland. Ling was very good at her job and made enough on her tips to get by. But Ling was unhappy with her financial or their financial situation as a family, and she wanted more. She wanted to buy a house, and their financial situation wasn't cutting it for her. So in 2006, after prompting from Ling, and I thought I heard one source say that um, she saved up enough money for him to actually quit his job Pay at Disneyland for- and get his license to sell life insurance. And right. so yeah. working from home selling life insurance. Neil wanted to give Ling all of the things that she wanted, but he just wasn't any good at sales and he couldn't keep his job, uh, which I can totally relate to because I would suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ling began working full time and Neil became a stay-at-home dad. Neil loved being a dad. His mom, Jan, sometimes helped take care of the kids. And she also lent them money, uh, lent in quotes, because she basically gave them money that they were supposed to, but didn't pay back. Mm. Well, if you loan family money, you should. Yeah, it's family. (laughs) Family thing. Yeah, right. And also child care expenses are no joke. And sometimes it is more cost effective to have. And Dave Ramsey, the, the guru of getting out of debt, will tell you this, that it's it might be more cost effective to have somebody stay at home when the person who's capable of earning more money goes out and works. Um, And Neil's mom claimed Man Ling became more distant from the children as they became people, as they grew up, and she liked them better as babies. She also liked to be the center of attention, and she began spending more and more time away from Neil and with her friends. So in 2007, 27-year-old Man Ling was unhappy. Domestic life and the daily drudgery bored her, which I also relate to. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Neil was good with the kids, but he was not a good housekeeper. And he also spent a lot of his free time playing computer games. Mm. As their relationship deteriorated, Ling talked about divorce. But Neil came from a divorced family and he didn't want a divorce. But Ling was no longer invested in the marriage. Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, I think divorce is um, certainly an option would have probably been a 
better option in, in better option but, yeah. I, but i also wonder if anybody helped them they were a really young couple like did anybody yeah. say how about you talk to my pastor or how yeah about you guys maybe maybe you should see a counselor yeah, yeah. like m- before we go through this let's see what we can do to help it because man come being a kid from divorce is no fun um yeah one Fred said Manling often felt she was forced into marriage because she became pregnant. Another said the couple fought almost every single day. And sometimes the arguments would escalate to screaming, which my understanding is that the neighbors could hear. Yeah, yeah. In June of 2007, Manling reunited with an old high school acquaintance, John Gregory, through MySpace. Along with two other high school friends, they met up for dinner. And soon afterwards, they began a short-lived affair. Mm. At one point during the affair, Ling told her mother-in-law, Jan, that her work was sending her to Santa Barbara. Remember that that uh, soap opera? Just me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cruz <laughs> is innocent. Uh, anyway, to take a course in management. And she asked Jan to take care of the boys while she was gone. In truth, she was going away with her boyfriend for the weekend. But eventually, Gregory broke off the affair because he felt bad that you know, Ling was a married woman with kids. Manling suffered from insomnia and would often call her sister Shunling at uh, 3 a.m. to talk. She began telling her sister and some friends about a recurring dream that she was having. In the dream, she would come home to find her kids murdered and Neil dead, having committed suicide. She also began telling friends that she was afraid of Neil, that he had changed, and that she was afraid he was going to hurt her and the boys fine line between a dream and a plan in this case Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in my best Keith Morrison voice which I learned I'm not very good at impersonating so I'm not going to do it well Uh, it's hard because uh, you're a woman and he's a man so (laughs) the baritones on that guy man yeah Uh, so then on the night of August 7th here's where it all goes down 2007 the Williams family had pizza for dinner and then the boys were put to bed sometime afterwards Manling smothered three-year-old Ian to death with a pillow, while seven-year-old Devin was asleep in the top bunk of their bunk bed. Then she smothered Devin and arranged the bodies to make it look like they were just sleeping. And by the way, to smother somebody with a pillow, even a child, takes like five to ten minutes. And yeah. so can you, I just... She was determined, she, she apparently. Yeah. yeah. She must have been. Yeah, after a few minutes, you could change your mind and, yeah. like, I'm not doing this, but she yeah. she kept on. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She then got onto her computer and checked out MySpace, her boyfriend's profile page in particular, then headed out to meet friends for drinks at TGI Fridays around 10 p.m. She expected Neil to find their sons dead while she was gone, and then not being able to live without them, she expected him to commit suicide, which is a crazy plan because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How do you know you're that he's going to do that All anyway? Right. Yeah, it's just unless nuts. he talked about being suicidal or like saying maybe in the relationship yeah. he had things like I can't live without the boys or I can't live without you. Or, yeah, but know. even even if he had said things like that to to expect that to happen is just nuts. Yeah, I think true, true. Agreed. Manling had even written a suicide note on her computer, allegedly from Neil, in which he blamed himself for killing the children and committing suicide. 
But when she got home a little after midnight, Neil was asleep and Manling was pissed. So she took out one of Neil's samurai swords and attacked him with it while he slept. She must have thought it was going to be easy, but he fought back and he tried to flee. She hacked and stabbed him as he tried to escape down the hallway and she managed to stab him over 90 times. The last thing Neil said to her was, help me. And then he fell face down in the hallway dead. And the, uh, are we going to talk about the coroner's report that talked about how he was almost hacked in half? Go ahead. I didn't read the coroner's report. I didn't read it. I just, um, from the sources that I, uh, looked into that, uh, she basically cut him in half. Wow. So I know that she amputated some of his fingers and like one of his forearms Mm. and his face was all messed up. Mm -hmm. She must've been enraged with him. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you ever come home to a messy house when somebody, when I, 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 I had to talk to my therapist about this case today because uh, I was like, I'm going to do this episode on family annihilators. And, and a lot of the issues that like Man Ling is facing, like, you know, a stay at home dad and, and being the breadwinner and you have these two kids and sometimes you come home and the house is messy and you're like, what the fuck? It would have just taken you 10 minutes to clean this place up. And like, yeah. just being furious. Like, I don't have any Sam. I was like, I'm, I- listen, listen, doctor, I'm not going to annihilate my family. I just want you to know that this is, this, I'm not the only one who has felt <laughs> angry and raged. About your situation. And she's she's assured me and I've assured her that there's nothing to worry about. Wendy is okay, everybody, and my family is okay. I'm just saying that That's pretty I can, normal. Yeah. I can relate to just being enraged. Like you couldn't take ten minutes. That's all. Yeah, to just knead up a little That's bit. All. Yeah, and that's power, Neil. Like I'm not saying you deserved it or anything. I'm just saying. Oh no, no, not at all. So yeah. So then Manling cleaned up and took a drive to get rid of her bloody clothing by throwing it into a nearby dumpster. Then she drove to a ridgetop to smoke and watch the sunrise. Afterwards, she went home and feigned finding the bodies, running outside and screaming for help. Neighbors rushed to help her, and she reportedly told them her husband had been injured. One neighbor entered the home and found Neil Williams' body and saw blood everywhere. So now we're going to dive into the investigation and the arrest. And uh, when the police arrived and Manling was taken to the police station, there she was questioned. She kept asking the investigators if Neil and the kids were okay. And I think she also kept saying, is he going to pull through? Is he, he's got to pull through. Yeah, please pull through. He's got to pull through. He's got to pull through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until eventually they told her that uh, they were all dead. And when asked to recount her story of when she came home, she feigned throwing up in a trash can and that she made retching sounds. But she never actually threw up. And I think her tears were also phony baloney, too, like alligator tears like i don't know if she was yeah i watched the police tape and Mm -hmm. it was it was blurry so i couldn't couldn't tell but they did say that she she didn't actually throw up yeah yeah she told police that she woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep and she said that when she can't sleep she likes to drive to the top of a ridge nearby to smoke and then watch the sunrise she said she left the house around 4 or 4 30 a.m and that she left the door unlocked 
When she came home, she saw the blood and ran out of the house screaming. Manling told police that Neil had been having an affair for the past 13 months, and he had recently confessed this to her, pointing police in the direction of a possible jealous lover or husband. Police asked if she had ever had an affair herself, and she denied that she had. And it was bullshit. He he was not having an affair. So right, uh, right. she was just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. I think she was just throwing anything out to see what would stick. <laughs> right, right. Throw spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was a lot of different stories she was throwing out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Police searched Manling's computer and found the quote unquote suicide note that Manling had left, supposedly written by Neil. Of course, It made no sense, given that Neil had been hacked to death. They also found blood on a cigarette box in her car. Yeah, it would be hard to hack yourself to death. Although I have I I do follow uh, the hashtag surgery on Instagram. And there's this Uh Russian Russian surgeon in like the 20s who performed surgery on himself. He did hack himself. Oh, my God. Not to death, but he like cut himself open and he kept like passing out. Uh, I think he was trying to take out oh his God. or something, and, but like nut. nobody else was qualified to do it. So they put mirrors on the top of his bed and uh, he gave him like all the tools that he needed. He just like Jesus cut himself open and like took out, you know, he was like using the mirror to help him like, uh, you know, figure out where he was in, inside and stuff. And like he, he performed surgery on himself and I think he like sewed himself up. And uh, oh my God. I, I can't tell you whether the surgery was successful or not, but there's lots of pictures <laughs> of it on Instagram. Anyway, Manling, yeah, stuck to her story about finding the bodies until one of the detectives told her about the bloody cigarette box and told her that there was no way there could be blood if things had transpired as she said they did. Manling eventually broke down and confessed everything. She was charged with three counts of first degree murder. So now we're going to get into the trial. Take it away, Beth. In 2010, Manling saying Williams court case began. She was charged not only with the three counts of first-degree murder, but also of the special circumstances of multiple murders and lying in wait, which made it a death penalty case. It took only eight hours for the jury to find her guilty on all counts, including the special circumstances. However, when it came to sentencing Manling Williams, the jury could not agree on life or death. Following the announcement that the first jury had hung in the penalty phase of the trial, both Williams and the Sang family members said they would rather see the prosecution accept a defense plea deal for a life sentence without the possibility of parole that included waiving rights to future appeals. But the prosecution elected to retry the penalty phase, and when Manling faced a second penalty phase jury, the jury recommended the death penalty. And on January 12th, 2012, Williams was sentenced to death. The judge commented the evidence is compelling that the defendant, for selfish reasons, murdered her own two children. He referred to the motivation behind the murders as narcissistic, selfish, and adolescent, and said that had she wished to abandon her children, there were several family members who would have taken care of them. Yeah, the judge read the shit out of her. Yeah. One of the defense attorneys cried when the verdict was read and Manling Williams' sister left the courtroom overcome with emotion. Manling Williams' family and her attorneys huddled outside the courtroom following the verdict, sharing hugs and tears. Jan Williams said that she felt bad for Manling Williams' family and, quote, there really isn't anything that can right the wrong, she said. I would have been just as happy with life without parole. 
Jan Williams did say that the stronger penalty helped to acknowledge the severity of Manling Williams's crimes. Quote, the gravity of what she has done has been acknowledged, she said. So now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll tell you. Manling Sang Williams is currently on death row in Chowchilla. Uh, since 1893, only four women sentenced to death have been executed in the state of California. The last was Elizabeth Ann Ma Duncan, who was 58, and she was executed in 1962. Yeah, so it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. And in March of 2019, so this year, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a moratorium on capital punishment. The result was a temporary reprieve for 737 inmates, male and female female on California's death row, which is apparently the largest in the Western Hemisphere. Mm, interesting. Um, so now we're going to get into what we believe made the killer snap as well as our takeaways. So I can't wait to hear what you got, Beth. Well, like you mentioned earlier, Manling and Neil were pretty young when they met. Mm-hmm. And I think for most people, we don't know who we are or what we want at that age. We don't know anything about life. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. Um, Still don't. Relation- yeah. <laughs> Relationships are really confusing and they could have used some help. Um, mm-hmm. Manling wasn't happy and she wanted a divorce, but Neil did not. And um, she probably felt stuck. That's no mm-hmm. excuse. Uh, she could have divorced him. I'm just exploring how she must have felt yeah. I think she wanted more from life and realized that she wasn't going to get what she wanted in her current situation, so she decided to call a mulligan. Uh-huh. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. A who? You never heard of a mulligan? Hercules mulligan? Hercules? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's just a do-over. <laughs> oh, okay. 
<laughs> so she she wanted a do-over. Oh. Um, I don't know what kind of person can kill their kids to clean their slate, Yeah, but um, they have to at least have some psychopathic tendencies. I understand the feeling of wanting to start over, but not the action. Right. She also must have been really angry at her husband to kill him mm-hmm. in the way that she did. Mm-hmm. I don't think she really thought it through. Uh, her story was whack and she had lots of different stories and she thought her husband would find the kids dead and then just kill himself. Which, yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned, that's just nuts. Yeah. It's a pipe dream. I don't think she was living in reality at all. And I don't think she wanted to. I think she had an idealized version in her head of what life was supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And reality wasn't cutting it. I think mm-hmm. she, that actually is pretty common in the U.S. and other capitalist countries. We're constantly being fed a line of bullshit about how we need this or we need that to make our lives perfect and we can Mm -hmm. have perfect lives, but that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of us eventually come to terms with that in one way or another that doesn't involve murdering our families. Sure. And then, of course, I think her abusive childhood was a factor. Yeah, I I agree with all that for sure. Absolutely. Um, And I, I... I look at this story as, you know, Manling was the breadwinner, which I know from experience is really, really hard as a working mother. And just imagine, um, I and I, I never saw myself in this position before. I assumed that I would find a sexy NFL or NBA player, get impregnated, and then like live the basketball wife dream. But <laughs> It didn't work out that way. That's, that's not what happened? What? That is not what happened. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just imagine working all day, then coming home to like a messy house, having to do your mom duties as well as your wifely duties, household work on top of everything else, preparing for the next day to be 100% the next day. Um And, you know, the financial stress probably didn't help either. And also, I'm not sure if Neil was one of those white guys. I'm not saying that Neil was one of these white guys who fetishized Asian women or women of color, but they do exist. And it is a thing that is, um, I don't want to say prevalent in society, but it's out there. Um, It exists. Yeah, it exists. Certainly everyone can have a preference. Absolutely. But it becomes a fetish when you are only attracted to or desire someone because of their race or their ethnicity or their culture. And since our subject was an Asian female, um, I specifically wanted to talk about the fetishization of Asian women or uh, Asian fever, some people might call it. And although there is an example of this for every minority or marginalized group, black women, brown women, um, gay men, I mean, this this exists for everybody. Some people might even have a fetish for white men. The stereotype is that an Asian woman is beautiful and that she is submissive and open and willing to be dominated. And it's not only white men that do this to women of color. Another example is Gwen Stefani. Have you heard of her, Beth? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, that one I know. <laughs> yes. And um, in the early 2000s, she had her Who Were Juku Girls, who were her East Asian backup dancers who followed her. And, and I think they also did some backup vocals. And they followed her around and she like wouldn't let them speak English in public. Uh, and, she, you know, she had that song, because I ain't no hollabacker, I ain't no hollabacker, B-A-N-A-N-A-N. That's weird. Uh, yeah. I, didn't, and, I did not know about that. Oh, well, I okay. so it seemed less it didn't seem problematic to me at the time because 
again, as a woman of color, anytime I, I, I see the little hint, I'm like, they're letting us in. Yay. So I remember being excited <laughs> when um, Gwen Stefani had women of color, Asian women dancing with her and like so prominent in her shows and her videos. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And and she even was like performing with Eve, you know, the black, are you familiar with Eve, the black female rapper also in Barbershop? Yeah, the name sounds familiar. Married to a billionaire. Anyway, uh, she's out there living her best life. Anyway, Gwen Stefani st- seemed like she was including women of color in her music in the creation of her music, which was really right. great music at the time. And her videos were incredible. And the dance moves that these um, Asian women were doing were like things that I would practice in my dorm room. And it, so it just, it felt like, Oh, they're letting us in. Um, but looking back, mm, there's, some, so much, there's some right? issues there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also say that um, this is also exhibited in American politics. Um, Andrew Yang is a candidate and I think a viable one. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like 100 percent behind him, but um, he literally has his name has been gotten wrong by the media. They, they've called him John Yang what? Uh, on MSNBC. Yeah. It's not even close. Uh, no. And they they just like ignore him in the mainstream media. That's and bullshit. All, all Asian Americans as a voter block in general. Uh, and Asia is big. There's East Asian, West Asian, Southeast Asian. It's a, it's a very big, very big continent that includes a vast amount of people. And a lot of them are American immigrants with first generation and second generation um, citizens in the United States. Right. And they are largely ignored as a voting block. And still, wow. I feel terribly for them for them, for their babies and for the entire Williams family. But I, I just, yeah. there's, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I threw a lot of things out there, but um, ultimately I think the, the, the bottom line of the story is I, I feel really bad for those kids and that, and that husband. So. Yeah. The stories with the kids are hard for me because yeah. I feel yeah, bad you know, for those babies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that we, like, I mean, we enjoy talking about true crime and, and we try to have fun with it and stuff. But I mean, children dying is the is reality a, is these are yeah. people and they and they died. And, yeah, and it's absolutely. really sad. Absolutely. Yeah. It is really yeah. sad. So um, rest in power, young kings. Um, so now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So what do you got, Beth? Sounds like you got a doozy for the holidays. Yeah, I just have a few holiday safety tips. So Mm. number one is uh, if you get something big for a gift, like a uh, 
television that comes in a giant box. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't leave it outside when you put out your trash. uh, Because that's a flag for Uh potential thieves. Like, hey, I got a big TV. Come and steal it. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you break down the box, uh, cut them up, turn them inside out, place what's left of the box in the trash or a recycling bin so it can't be seen. Mm. Um, When leaving the house, Think about leaving a light on or a television on, which can give the illusion that someone is home. Mm -hmm. As always, and especially during the holidays, lock up windows and doors of all buildings and your vehicles. When leaving your vehicle, when you're out shopping and stuff, don't leave bags, phones, or wallets inside. Previous purchases should not be in plain view within the car. Put them in the trunk or cover them up Mm -hmm. in the back. Mm-hmm. If a purchase from an individual is to be made in person, you're meeting somebody to buy something from them or sell something to them, make sure that the trade happens in a public space. Some police departments will allow these trades to happen on their property. Check oh. into that. Oh. Yeah. See if your police department will do that. That's um, cool. Don't meet these people at night or alone. Mm. If you are traveling, don't post about it on social media, especially if you have quote unquote friends you don't actually know in person. Right. Also ask trustworthy friends or family to check up on your home, collect your mail and keep your yard clear of debris. Don't leave a spare key under rocks in flower pots or welcome mats because burglars know all about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give the spare key to whoever is checking up on your home. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get caught up in the festivities, but try to remember to watch your surroundings while you're shopping or you're out for a holiday event. Keep your head on a swivel, as we always say. That's right. Thank you, Beth, for those fire ass tips. Uh, now we're going to, I was going to swear, but we already have an E in front of our, our show on all the, all the podcasts. On, flat, uh, Apple, yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we're going to get into some serial killer and true crime news. So what do you got, Beth? So I just read today that Lawrence Bittaker, a serial killer convicted in Los Angeles County of murdering, kidnapping and raping five teenage girls in 1979, has died of natural causes while on death row in San Quentin. Oh, wow. He and his crime partner, Roy Lewis Norris, they were known as the toolbox killers. Oh. And uh, yeah, they tortured people. So, oh, uh, couple of white dudes uh, but okay. uh, but shout out to San Quentin prison with that for the their excellent podcast that re- they released ear from hustle. prison ear yeah. hustle yeah yeah, yeah. Roy Lewis Roy Lewis Bittaker Lewis Bittaker or Lawrence Lawrence, Lawrence Bittaker if, if he's yeah. ever been on the show I don't know now I've got to go through the archives <laughs> probably, probably not because he was on death row so I, I don't know but you could check into it I know it. that um, they have interviewed guys on death row I don't know oh if, okay okay but uh I yeah know. I don't know he was That's- he was kind of disgusting but uh he was 79 <laughs> and now he's dead and uh he was on death row for a really long time so that's it. Um, so let's get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. I just have one one word for y'all. Watchmen. And you can find it on HBO. Watch it and tell yeah, us what you think. Get on that. Yeah. 
Hashtag Fruit Loops pod discussion. Watchmen. Yeah. Okay. What do you got? Ben? Tell us all about it. Yeah. It's awesome. um, I've been watching The Expanse on Amazon Prime. Have you watched it at all? Uh-uh. No. I just started watching it. I know I'm late to the party because there's four seasons. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I just started it. And okay. I, I'm enjoying it uh, so far. It's not like uh, like the best show on the planet, but it's really uh, entertaining. And I'm, okay. I'm binging it. So obviously I like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's worth sticking to. Yeah, and the the cast is diverse, and mm-hmm. in particular, the actress who plays a character named Naomi is great. Um, and I think I've seen her on something else. I'm not sure what, but uh, her name is Dominique Tipper, mm-hmm. and she's uh, she's a black lady. She's British and Dominican, and um, I I really like her. So she's beautiful. And yes. I'm sure that her talents are just as beautiful if uh, the show is four seasons and you are still watching it. Yep, still watching. <laughs> so where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean <laughs> patron page. <laughs> yeah. This, this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That is right. And this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, 
the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.